This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are working our way towards Christmas. And once again, if, if that is a stumbling block for you, then this is just Christology in December which is fine. Christology, any time of the year, is is a wonderful thing. It's a great time. And we're looking at the names and titles of, and I just keep saying Jesus Christ because there's, even though that is a name and a title, but we're going to deal with one of those titles today. Jesus is a name. Christ is not his last name. It's a title. What does the word Christ mean? It means... um, it comes from the word Messiah in Hebrew, which means anointed or anointed one, or in Greek, Christos, which is where we get Christ from. Uh, and so what we're talking about is is the one that is promised from the Old Testament. Uh, the first promise is given in Genesis 3.15, and we move forward from there. It's the one who would uh, be appointed or and anointed by God to be the Messiah, the Savior of his people. So why are we what what's the idea about anointed? That seems kind of strange. What what does anointing have to do with anything with regard to, to Jesus Christ? Well, been that we're set apart to a particular office. You know, like you think about kings, they were anointed to that office. The priests were anointed, prophets certainly were anointed. So Jesus is the anointed one. He is the one who is anointed above and beyond everyone else. I mean, it, it's speaking to the fact that this Christ is more than just a regular servant or man. It's it's the office that he's come to fulfill. Anointing in the Old Testament referred to setting something apart or consecrating something as holy, and they would use a fragrant oil. And it was it was used actually on objects, uh, you know, in the temple that displayed uh, a type of the future coming Messiah or anointed one. Uh, it represented the Holy Spirit and his gifts. It, and as uh, Ryan was pointing out, uh, there, it was it represented an office. It was There was an anointing for an office. And there were actually three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament. There was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And uh, these were all mediatorial offices, you know, the a mediation between the people and God. And uh, Jesus was anointed to be our one mediator. There's one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So I, I want to come back and ask a question, but do we have time for story time with Uncle Russ? For, Always. For just a little no, bit? Sure. Here? Okay. Always. So when I was in, in college, I had a, uh, a good friend that had a – I was in college in northwest Iowa. He had a, a girlfriend that he had met in the summer as he was working in a camp in Bozeman, Montana, and he wanted to visit her over a weekend. And so we got in the car on a Friday night, drove all the way through the night um, so that he could spend time with – 
his girlfriend on that Saturday and Sunday. Sunday afternoon, we got back in the car, drove all the way through the night so that I could be back in, in my class in the 745 on Monday morning. He had a, a Ford Fairmont, which I think is the exact same car as a, as a Mercury Zephyr. And it was quite a car. It had some issues. Um, <laughs> and so we were extremely thankful when we had made it to Bozeman. And we were a little bit worried about the drive home. And his girlfriend was of the charismatic variety. And so she got out her anointing oil to anoint the vehicle so that, I mean, Jonathan was talking about consecrating something for a specific purpose. And she anointed the vehicle, apparently, so that it would get back home safely. And I'm, I'm assuming that she just failed to anoint the muffler because it fell off someplace <laughs> in Wyoming or wherever it was, North Dakota. Well, I don't remember what route we took. So mm-hmm. that anointing oil didn't quite work. But the anointing oil of the scriptures does work. Mm-hmm. And it uh, works for particular offices. So if we think about Jesus Christ as the anointed one, mm-hmm. how does he fulfill being the true prophet, true priest, true king? Mm-hmm. So I'm asserting that he mm-hmm. is the fulfillment of the three offices of the Old Testament. So you can debunk that if you want to, or you can just answer, well, how does he fulfill being a true prophet, true priest, true king that the all the other Old Testament ones pointed to? Can I, before we do that, can I like just kind of root this, I think, in a good text? Yeah. People have, it's from Psalm 45, and uh, beginning in verse 6, uh, the psalmist says, uh, well, well, first the psalm starts with, my heart overflows with the pleasing theme, I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are most handsome of the sons of men, and grace is poured upon your lips. And then he gets to verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And you kind of think in that line that, okay, now he's talking about God. And um, and it, he continues on. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And then he says, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. The daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. And at your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. So in verse 6, that God that's spoken of there is it's the Christ. He is mm-hmm. God in the flesh. And he is anointed uh, with the oil of gladness beyond all of his companions. If we flash forward then to the New Testament, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has this mic drop moment in the synagogue where the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. He opens it up and he reads it and says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It says the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fixed on him. Mm-hmm. And he began saying to them today, you listen to the scripture has been fulfilled. Uh, just as ultimate word, Jesus identifies himself as that anointed one. Yeah. And then as in the course of his ministry, he goes to fulfill these three offices. So as, as prophet, that's an easy one. If the prophet's role is to teach God's truth to God's people with God's authority, Jesus does reveal this. reveal God to it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, revealing. Yeah. Most clearly, I think he does that in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you've been told uh, and then speaks the uh, typical pharisaical interpretation of the law. And he says, but I now tell you. 
and just asserts that he has the authority to reveal the true meaning of the law as the true teacher and revealer of God. Mm-hmm. And we've touched a little bit already on the fact that you know him being king. I mean, he is he has all authority in heaven and earth. His kingdom is now. He is enthroned. And uh, he, and and for us as Christians, it can give us great comfort in knowing that you know whatever chaos appears to be in the world, it isn't chaos. It's it's uh, the plan of Christ unfolding, the plan of God unfolding. And the, much of the book of Hebrews works through the, the priesthood of Christ, mm-hmm. calling him a, the great the greater priest, even greater than the Arianic priesthood uh, after the priest Melchizedek, who will become a great high priest again. Who, if the priest's role is to love God's people with God's love by making atonement for sin, um, Christ does that, fulfills that in him in him, in himself once for all time by laying himself down as the sacrifice for sin. As Ryan and Vinian pointed out, you know, Psalm 45 or Isaiah 51, you know, speaking about the one that would come that would be anointed, you know, this was the expectation, uh, you know, in, when, in Jesus' day, you know, you know, when Jesus meets even with the Samaritan woman who has, you know, got some mixed understanding about the, the word of God, he's speaking to this Samaritan woman in the well, and, and he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, and, and she's going to say to him, I know that Messiah, I know that the Christ, I know that the anointed one is coming into the world. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, th- there was an expectation of it. He came, he even, he put his finger in the text when he, you know, as Vinny pointed out in the Gospel of Luke there, uh, you know, taking up the scroll of Isaiah and saying, uh, today this has been fulfilled in your, uh, your hearing. Hmm. The genealogy in Matthew ends with this phrase, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So the New Testament, over and over, in an overwhelming way, wants you to to start reading the New Testament, saying, "This Jesus is the Christ." And if you yeah. if you follow the storyline of the Book of Acts, that is the storyline at the at, for sure at the beginning that God has made G, this Jesus the Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the the whole kind of foundational premise of the work of of the New Testament church. As you're, as you're reading Matthew there, you know, in the, the those genealogies, it's so important. The genealogy, the genesis of, of Jesus Christ, Matthew is giving you his identity. He's tying it all the way through the Old Testament. And three times there in, in, in verse 1, in verse 16, in verse 17, and then again at, at the beginning of, I should say four times, he's called Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and that, so this is a very important title. And in the Gospel of Matthew itself is, I mean, it, it's it's the gospel that's written primarily to Hebrews. And Matthew goes throughout his gospel, taking prophecy fulfillments and showing how Jesus fulfills that prophecy, <laughs> prophecy, prophecy, promises uh, and prophecies, pro- prophecies and promises. There's I need more coffee, <laughs> but the. Uh, uh, showing and proving and laying the foundation about how Jesus fulfills every single one of those prophecies about who the Christ would be and uh, uh, laying that foundation that he is the Christ. In in some of the great confessions of the, of the church, whether it's the Heidelberg Catechism and its question and answer, you know, 
asking, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Or in the Westminster Larger Catechism, why is our mediator called Christ? Um, that, you know, we get the summary of God's word there. And if, you're, if you are still in the dark about what this meaning of Christ was, I would, I would recommend uh, picking up one of those confessions, uh, Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 31, or Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answers 42 through 45 deal with how he fulfills these offices. I thought maybe you would just do the quick summary of the of the the Heidelberg. Oh, the Heidelberg says, "Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father, has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance." our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards and keeps us in the deliverance that he has won for us. And the the wonder of both uh, the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Larger Catechism, or I'm assuming it's also in the Shorter Catechism, is that they all provide all of these proof texts. So if you're trying to just say, oh, that's just something that they are saying, they want you to see, no, this is what the Word of God is saying. Mm -hmm. And then you can follow that argumentation. Ryan will be glad to know that one of the proof texts in the Heidelberg Catechism is Psalm 45. Mm -hmm. That to establish this idea of that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, that Jesus is the anointed one, that he is the Christ. And the next question of the Heidelberg is saying, well, why are you called a Christian? Mm-hmm. And it says, because I share in his anointing. And it's just a wonderful practical application of why Jesus not only is the Christ, but why are we as his followers called Christians? 